Good morning. I'm Kristen Loney, and today we will be reading from Micah 3, 9 through 4, 5, which can be found on page 777 in the Pew Bible. Micah 3, verse 9 through 4, verse 5. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money, yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins, and the mountain of the house a wooded height. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and peoples shall flow to it, and many nations shall come and say, Come! Let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and shall decide disputes for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore, but they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all the peoples walk each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. All right, here we got this. We can do it. Hey, moms and dads, thanks for making the effort. It's worth it. Um, kids, I'm so thankful you guys are in the room. We're going to talk for about, just planning 20 minutes, maybe a little less than that. Uh, we'll see how we do. Uh, but you have some papers there. I would love for you to draw and take some notes while we talk. And here's what I want you to draw. I want you to draw a trampoline. I'll tell you why later. As big as you want, small as you want, many as you want on there. Just begin thinking about and drawing a trampoline. Moms and dads, if you need some space to wiggle around throughout the service, our overflow room is down the hall. You're welcome to head that way. There's a live stream down there. There's some chairs and some rugs, and you guys can wiggle that direction if that's helpful. And while the kids are in the room, kids, I'm so excited to let you know that in a couple of weeks, uh, we begin like the Advent season, which gets us ready for Christmas. And we have a tradition of a kid's choir. And this year we're going to add like a little bit of a program to that. And so our older kids are going to begin rehearsing next Sunday at 9.30. You'll come a little early. Uh, you can sign up. There's a QR code there at the bottom. Kids use your parents' smartphone or show them how to use their smartphone. And you can uh, scan that QR code. So second to sixth grade, you have some speaking options. You don't have to, but if you'd like to. And then everybody else will jump back in on November 26th and we'll prepare some songs. So the information is there on your bulletin. But kids, it's really fun for us to 
have you lead us in worship. Today was fun with some hand motions and we'll get a chance to kind of let you sing some Christmas songs and remind us about who Jesus is and why he came. So I want to encourage you guys towards that. That there again is on, on your bulletin. Hey, let me say a quick prayer. Um, kids, would you fold your hands and bow your head for a second? Let me pray for us and we'll ask for God to use this really important book of Micah to speak to us. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thanks for all that you're doing in our lives. We welcome the quiet places and the loud places. Uh, we say thank you that you care about everything. Would you speak to us now as we look at your word? Give us some sort of focus and stamina, but also speak to us in a really specific way. Whether we're three years old or been in church for three decades, uh, would you speak, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, if you're watching online, again, it's Family Worship Sunday. Some of you guys are watching from home, so welcome. Kids, if you have that picture of a trampoline from home, your, picture, your parents can take a picture of it and send it to me. I'd love to see your trampoline. Also, we should acknowledge our students had a fall retreat, uh, so they're over here in this section. Their theme was abide, so you may see them abiding throughout the sermon. They may drop their heads. They're praying, though, and meditating, if you see that happening. Um, I heard it was a late night, so they're practicing contemplative practices up here in the front row if we go that direction. Hey, we're in the book of Micah this morning. We're starting a series uh, through the Minor Prophets. This is actually week three. There's a reading guide that goes along with that. And we're going a little bit out of order. So if you don't have one of these, go ahead and grab it. Our hope is that you would read throughout the week some of these really important, but maybe not very familiar words. The Minor Prophets aren't minor because of their importance. They're just minor because of the size. So like Micah was a contemporary of Isaiah, Isaiah's book is 66 chapters Micah is just seven chapters, so he's not less important. They say a lot of the same things, but they're minor in size, but incredibly important because they speak to situations that all of us feel. There are doubts and concerns and there's fears. There's also drifting and pain. There's sin. There's a moral, kids, a big word, a moral relevance or relativism. People wonder what actually is the way to live? Who's the king? Am I my own boss? Do I have another boss? Does God really care about my life? These are the questions that the minor prophets are dealing with. And when we ask those questions, what the minor prophets show us is that doesn't stay contained just in our little heads. It spills over into our lives. And so what was happening in these communities from the 8th century B.C. to the 5th century B.C. when the minor prophets wrote was a lot of injustice. They're hurting each other. They're stealing from each other. They're lying to one another. They're, they're taking people that have power and they're oppressing those who didn't have power. And God really cares about that. God cares about not just how we treat people, but he cares about warning it to practice maybe some, some discipline, some warning, some cautions for a second, some other discipline. What's happening in the Bible is God is disciplining his people and warning them that their, their hearts really matter to him. Kids, I don't know if you know this, but when your parents discipline you, it's actually because they love you. I remember getting spanked from my dad and he would say, I'm doing this because I love you. And I remember thinking, it doesn't feel like love. I don't know. It doesn't feel to me like love. But, but when a parent does the hard work of explaining to you what's going on and asking you to change, what they're trying to do is help your heart align to God's heart for you. So when that happens, it's beautiful, but it's also sometimes really painful. And Micah speaks into that space. All the prophets kind of deal with similar things, so we're, we're trying to separate out some different themes so we don't just preach the same sermon every single week these next 12 weeks. So we started with the prophet Hosea. 
which we focus there on God's faithfulness when we're unfaithful. That's a really important thing to hear. When we drift, when we're unfaithful, when our hearts aren't close to God, He still loves us and comes after us. So that's what Hosea was about. Last week we were in the book of Amos, and Amos was a warning about those who had a lot of money. The big word is affluence. And there's a apathy or a boredom or a stepping back in your seat or taking things for granted that can happen when you have a lot of abundance, when you have a lot of stuff. And so he speaks in that space a warning about apathy that can come from affluence. And this morning as we look at Micah, maybe you could just write this sentence down. We're talking about how deep brokenness can lead to deep hope. Micah is going to communicate to us how deep brokenness can lead to deep hope. And it starts with who God is. Micah's name means who is like God. That's what his name means. And so I want to ask three questions this morning. What is God like? And then I want to ask, what are we like? And then I want to ask, what is redemption or hope or salvation? What, what is redemption like? If Micah's name means who is like God, I want to use his name to ask, what is God like? What are we like? And then what is redemption like? So Micah writes in the mid-8th century. He's actually a contemporary of Amos as well. Amos writes to the northern kingdom. Micah writes to the southern kingdom, which kids, I know you were hoping I would share that this morning. So you're welcome for that history lesson there. But we're, we're dealing with about, around 700, 720, 750 B.C., somewhere in that range is when Micah writes. And he writes one of the most famous verses in the Old Testament. Would you look in your Bible there? It's on page 780. If you're in that Black Pew Bible, kids, you can open that Bible up. And if you don't have a Bible, you could take that one home with you, actually. So on page 780, that's where Micah's at. It's kind of in the middle of the Bible. We're going to be in chapter 6, verse 8. There's several verses that Micah has that are familiar to us, but Miss Janet read this to us as we thought about confession and unburdening ourselves. But Micah 6.8 says this, He has told you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? Which is a huge question. What does God want from me? Maybe you ask that when things are going bad and you lost the job or you didn't get to be on the team that you wanted or you didn't get the grade that you wanted or you're not in the relationship that you want. Something bad has happened. Maybe you ask it that way. God, what do you want from me? What are you asking of me? So he answers the question. Here's what God wants. He wants you to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. God's the kind of God that when it comes to what he wants from you, it's not your money. It's not you following a whole bunch of rules. It's not you looking impressive on the outside. What he wants is your heart to be tied to his heart because God is a God of justice. And a God of kindness. This word is actually a really important word. It's the word hesed. Kids, can you say that with me? Hesed. You got to go a little like a so a hesed. It's a word for faithful love. There's a children's Bible that says it's an always and forever, never stopping, never giving up kind of love. And he says, I want you to love that kind of love. I want you to understand the kind of faithfulness that God has. And I want you to walk humbly with God. I want you to realize that it's okay to have needs. It's okay for you to be dependent. It's okay for you to feel small. When you're scared, like that song taught us, you can turn to God. To walk humbly with God is to say, I have needs. So, so what does God want from you? What's God like? He's the kind of God that wants justice in the world, 
wants people to be cared for and treated well. He wants you to love the idea of this faithful kindness that he shows, and he wants you to walk humbly. And throughout Micah, what we're going to see is lots of descriptions of this. Micah is organized in three different parts. So kids, you could imagine kind of three sections. And if you're taking notes next to your trampoline, maybe you could just draw three sections. So chapter 1 and 2 are a section, and then chapter 3 to 5 are a section, and then chapter 6 and 7. And then if you're drawing lines, you could also draw across them like this, because each of those sections starts with a judgment section. It says, I have this against you. Here's the things that you're doing that aren't very good. Here's the things that aren't just. They're not kind. They're not humble. And he talks about those things. And then at the bottom of that section, he gives a word of hope. This is where you are, what you're doing, but I love you and I offer you hope. Comes back into it. Here's what you're doing. Here's what's going wrong. Here's the things that are hurting people. But I love you. I've provided a way. And he comes in that last section, same thing. Here's the things you're doing. Here's what's breaking my heart. Here's what's bad for you. Here's what's hurting people. But I've provided a way of hope. So what is God like? God is like one who shares the honest news of where we're broken so we can hear the good news of where we need hope. He names things like oppressing the poor and taking from somebody, even worshiping other gods, which sounds kind of crazy to us, but anytime we say no to God, we're saying yes to something else, whether it's the God of ourselves or the world around us, we're saying somebody else is king if we don't let God be king. And so when that happens, it spills over into our money and our relationships, what we do with our bodies, how we think about other people. He names these really sad things that God really cares about. And then he offers us hope. He doesn't just leave us there. He doesn't just tell us all the things we're doing wrong. God's the kind of God who also offers us hope. And if you go to the New Testament, he didn't just talk about hope. He came to bring hope in the person and work of his son, Jesus. Jesus died on a cross because we couldn't fix what was broken about us. He came to actually give us hope from what he had accomplished for us that we just received. It wasn't even, here's all the good things you can do, and if you do enough of them, then I'll love you. God did all the work. The Bible says when we were his enemies, when we were dead, when we were apart from him, in that space, Jesus came to proclaim a word of hope. He died on a cross to pay the penalty for all of our sin and brokenness so we could actually receive that hope. So Micah says, who is like God? What what is God actually like? God is like one who tells the truth. And he offers hope. Look with me at the very end of Micah chapter 7. Miss Janet read this as well for us. It's on page 781. Micah chapter 7, verses 18 to 20. It says this. Who is a God like you? That's the question. Micah's name sounds like that. Starts out with, I'm Micah. Who's like God? Here's what God is like. Who, Who is like you that pardons the iniquity? Who says you're forgiven? Who passes over transgression? For the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever. He's honest about our brokenness. He he brings discipline, but he doesn't stay in that space. But he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. He will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. Far, far, far away from us, the consequences of our sin. Jesus absorbs the penalty and punishment for those things. And it's as if he put him in the very bottom of the ocean. That's what God is like. Not reminding you of all your failures, not telling you things you should be ashamed of, 
but bringing forgiveness to you. And this is verse 20 says this, and you will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to do to our fathers from days of old. He's saying God keeps his promise. He's naming people that were alive a long time before Micah was alive. He's saying you're the kind of God who made promises and you keep them. So that's what God is like. He loves, he cares about justice. He cares about telling us the truth. And he cares that we actually have hope. Okay, so now what are we like? Remember the bottom half of all those sections kind of talk about the hope, but before you get there, he talks about how honest we have to be about the things that we do. And so if you were to walk through chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 4 and chapter 6, you'll see all these really painful, sad things. Taking advantage of one another, stealing from the poor, using people's words to hurt one another, using their bodies to actually sin against each other. It's a really sad list a pretty graphic list. At one point, he even talks about like you're treating people as if you're almost like eating them alive. It's so bad. It's so dangerous, so painful. It's almost like you're just consuming them. And maybe parents can relate to something like that, to see people as somebody to take from, to consume, to, to have, to use. God, God cares about that. And he's saying, when you don't put me on the throne of your life, you're going to put something else there and when you do that, you think that you can take advantage of people. He actually talks about leaders a lot. And there's a warning to leaders who are harming people. And one of the ways they harm them is by not telling them the truth. There's a constant theme in Micah where the leaders are saying, everything's fine. Don't worry about it. You don't have to repent. You don't have to honor God. He loves you no matter what you do. You can just keep going and keep hurting people, keep saying what you want, do whatever you want. God's okay with that. Micah says, no, those leaders are bad leaders because they don't tell the truth. They don't tell the truth of where we actually are. And we live in a world where our leaders often don't live into truth. Even this week in our city, there's leaders that are struggling to live into the truth of what they have taught and what they say. And I want you to know just from Micah real fast, church, God cares about that. As we think about adding a layer of leadership with the elders and a women's team at our church, to hear in the fears that we have about that, God sees, He knows, and He judges leaders. There's passages in First and Second Timothy and all throughout the New Testament where we're told that God will keep accounts and will judge the leaders that actually hurt us. So, so what are we like? We're like people who do things that kind of put ourselves on the throne and we harm people. We also look to other people rather than to God to come and rescue us. And when we do that, Lots of things break down. And we actually get ourselves into a spot in chapter 3 where we do worship stuff without our hearts involved. We just go through the motions without actually doing what we're supposed to on the inside. So kids, I don't know if you ever had this experience where you hurt your brother or sister and you were still pretty upset and they were kind of upset and your mom and dad told you to go and say you're sorry, but you actually weren't very sorry. Have you had that experience? Hey, your parents are trying to help you, by the way. What they're trying to do is train your heart to repent, to come reconcile. But it can feel complicated when you're not actually ready yet or you don't feel it. So you just use words to say you're sorry, but you don't actually have the heart. Your parents are trying to help your heart to follow your words. But what if your heart never followed your words? And you just said, I'm sorry, but we're never actually sorry. These people in the book of Micah, they come to the temple and they make sacrifices, which is a way of saying we're sorry. And they oil and grain and animals. They make all these sacrifices, 
but they're not actually sorry. God calls it vain or empty worship. And he says, you're not actually worshiping with your whole heart. We are capable of saying the right things and having our hearts not actually match them. What are we like? We're like people who want to be their own king or look to somebody else to be king. And we get used and use other people when that happens. And we're capable of using our words and having our heart not actually follow. These are really sad things. And what's happening in the book of Micah and the rest of the prophets is God's people have been doing this for a really long time. And so like a loving parent, God keeps saying, hey, I'm going to bring discipline to you. I'm going to come and actually send other nations to come and, and actually use them to bring a sort of pain to you so you'll wake up to the reality of the pain that you're in. And God would actually use that to actually help them. Okay, now you might be asking, like, why does God do this? What, what's the point? Why does God want us to feel the weight of these things? This is where I need your trampolines. So how many of you guys have ever jumped on a trampoline before? Come on, moms and dads. Big ones, you remember that? So like, remember when there was no nets, you just fell off the edge, and that was like part of the fun? The world, is, the world has changed, man. Like, the springs would pinch your legs, and I mean, it's a, it's a different world. But kids, when we were kids, there was no net around the trampoline. You would just jump to your own peril. And... There was always somebody on the trampoline that you would ask to like double jump you, right? So they're going to jump deep and kind of have you jump and shoot you up really high. But if you were by yourself on the trampoline, you could just kind of slowly bounce, right? You bounce a little bit and that was kind of fun, but it was super fun. If you could get a real deep bounce, bounce really hard and get up and then bounce even harder and go down and bounce up higher, bounce really hard and then come back up again. And maybe you could like do a flip or you could sit on your bottom and then get back on your feet and you could have a lot of fun the deeper you went down the higher up you went I want to teach you in God's word when he takes our hearts to a space where he helps us see just how far down we've gone how dark we can be the places where we we're actually sinning against him and other people it's a lot going down deep on that trampoline and then when you get down low enough to see where actually you deserve or where you are or how bad things can be and then you hear the good news of Jesus, that he forgives us, that he sets us free, and it bounces us up to the degree that you will be honest about your brokenness and the darkness of your heart. The hope of Jesus becomes really good news. So like on that trampoline, going down deep would be like real honest repentance. Not just surface stuff like, I'm sorry if you felt that way, or I'm sorry if you misunderstood me, but real down deep like, I'm sorry that I used you. I'm sorry that I put myself ahead of you. I'm sorry that I actually wanted to take from you and didn't think about what that meant. That kind of confession brings a kind of hope because if God just forgives you for little surface things like you didn't give enough money or you drove too fast in your car or something small, you didn't clean your room, those feel really small and that would just be like just a small little bounce on that trampoline. But if God actually forgives those deep, deep things inside your soul, the stuff even like you don't want anybody else to know about, the things that you would be embarrassed if your parents find out, even if you're 60 year old and your parents found out those things, you'd be like mortified in that space. If Jesus can forgive those, that is that like flip. That's you sky high feeling the grace of Jesus to forgive you from the things that you would rather hide that you would rather like not be honest about. But when you're not honest about them, you can't feel the grace and weight of the goodness of the way God wants to love you and set you free. So back to Micah chapter 7 as we begin to close. 
Micah 7, let me just read this again. What is God like? He's like the one who pardons iniquities and passes over our transgression. To the degree you'll go deep with your iniquities and deep with your transgressions, then you can hear the good news that his anger doesn't last for forever. And he actually delights to forgive you and delights to love you. He has compassion on you. And the deeper you go, the higher you can receive the hope that's in Jesus. But here's the deal. It's not just like a plastic hope or a good idea or pat you on the head. It's not just words. We needed something else. So I want to close by talking about what is redemption like. We said what God was like. He's holy and just and good. He's a truth-telling God. And what we're like, well, there's a lot of brokenness about us. There's beautiful things about us made in God's image, but there's a lot of sadness and pain inside of us as well. So we need something outside of ourselves to help. These people knew all the laws, all the rules. They'd seen God do miracles. They'd, they'd watch God be faithful, and they still struggled, just like you and I still struggle. The story of the Bible is that we needed something more than just laws and rules, our own self-effort to save us. We needed a Savior. We needed a Messiah to come. So look with me in chapter 5 of Micah, verse 2. It says this. This is going to sound familiar as you think about Christmas. It says, But you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you will come forth for me one who is the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old and from ancient days. This is not somebody who's just born kind of out of a regular family line. This is an ancient one who extends past the days. Therefore he shall give them up until their time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of the brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord our God. And he shall dwell and we shall dwell secure for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth and he shall be their peace. Micah says because of who God is and because of the amount of brokenness that we have, we need redemption from the outside. So God promised to send one from ancient of days, God himself, into our world to live the life that we should have lived, to shepherd God's people, it says in verse 4, so that we could be secure and we could have peace with God in verse 5. There's nothing you and I can do on our own to have peace with God. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 that God sent His Son Jesus into our world to give us peace. And the way He accomplished that was by dying on the cross in our place so we could be forgiven and set free. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the good news of the Bible story. And that's the good news of Micah. So kids, as we get to this place every Sunday, we want to respond to that good news. You can respond a couple of ways. One is just to stay in your seat and pray. You can thank God. You can ask Ask for his help. You can thank him for who he is. You can confess your sin. You can ask him to help Jesus become real to you. If you are a follower of Jesus and you've already taken communion, kids, I would invite you to come and take communion. Any adults in the room who are trusting in Jesus, as I'm telling that story of our redemption, if you say, that's my story. I know I couldn't do enough good stuff or I couldn't be faithful enough. I know I need a Savior. If that's your story, adults, would invite you to come and take communion. Whether this is your church home or not, all Christians are welcome to take communion. The way we do it is we tear a piece of the bread off and we dip it in the cup to represent the broken body of Jesus and His shed blood. There'll be service here at all the aisles and a gluten-free station here in the middle. 
But as you're doing that, don't just go through ritual, right? It's not just a hollow, vain thing. Remember how holy God is. Remember how deep your sin is. And bounce really deep on that trampoline of your heart as you taste the nourishing effects of the broken body and shed blood of Christ. Let that actually stir worship in you that God has forgiven you of all those things. Maybe you actually want to ask Him to search your heart just a little bit more so you could be free of more things. And then outside the room, there's some couches there that people would love to pray with you or pray for you. Um, anybody in any space of life, you're welcome to go do that. Folks would pray. Let me pray for us now, then we'll take communion. We'll sing a few more songs, and then we'll go. But pray with me. Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thanks for what you've done. Thanks for the ways that you've done it. Thanks that you stood in our place. You took the penalty for all of our brokenness to give us peace. I love that 700 years before you came, Micah told us you were going to come, the one who would actually rescue us and redeem us, the one who would perfectly fulfill all the promises of God, who would shepherd our hearts to know you and follow you. We say thank you. Fill the room now with joy and worship while we celebrate. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, come when you're ready.